It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Fulhamish is sponsored by Beer52.com, the UK's number one craft beer club. If you or someone you know loves your craft beer, then this company send you small batch craft beer every month straight to your door. And you can get £10 off your first box using the code Fulham at Beer52.com. And you support the podcast at the same time as well. To get £10 off your first order, just use the code Fulham at Beer52.com. Hello, it's Fulhamish Podcast, the first show of May. Thank you for downloading this week's episode. My name's Sammy James. This is the show that takes a sideways view of everything to do with Fulham FC. Nearly as comforting as a 14-goal difference cushion between ourselves and Leeds. Joining me on this week's episode is Farrell Monk. Welcome back, Sammy. Thank you very much. Ben Jarman. Good evening, Sammy. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. This is <laughs> London calling. <laughs> Thank you for stepping in for the last few weeks, Jack, to oh, the hot seat. You're more than welcome, Sammy. It was my pleasure. My I've pleasure. been in the land of Neil Etheridge for the last couple of weeks, and what a few games I've missed. Just Googling where Neil Etheridge is from. He's from the Philippines. Yeah. And played for the Philippines national side and famously played that one game against the Denza. He did. And basically knocked us out of the competition. He did, but let's gloss over that. I think it was Orlando Sarr. He was a Filipino legend. Let's gloss over that. So, in the meantime, while I've been gone, it's been an incredible few weeks for Fulham. Uh, Three wins and a draw. And that final draw against Brentford on Saturday means that Fulham have booked themselves into the playoffs, barring an almighty goal swing between ourselves and Leeds. It would be a bigger swing than Anthony Joshua's left hook against Klitschko on Saturday night. Uh, it would be an insane, insane turnaround if Leeds somehow managed to do it. So let's just presume for the entire podcast that we're in the playoffs. Is that safe to say? You've made worse calls. I've made worse calls. <laughs> uh, Jack, it was an entertaining game on Saturday. Pretty tense for the whole thing. Uh, what were the best three-word reviews that we got in? I liked Dave, Doi Doi 64s It's Just Beginning. Um, I liked Who Dat, FFC Who Dat, who said, I'll take that. Which was basically how I felt about the entire situation. And Dom at Piazon Passion, who said, don't want Wednesday. Well, it's going to be interesting to see who we do get uh, in the playoff semi-final. We booked our place then with a one-all draw over our rivals from West London after Leeds drew with Norwich at Elland Road. It was tense at times on Saturday. It was a little bit fraught. Uh, Brentford came there with a game plan. They kind of succeeded in the way because they nabbed themselves a point. Uh, but really, Fulham were unlucky not to take all three on Saturday because we were dominant for large swathes of the game. Yeah, 100%. I think we were the better side for the large majority. That said, by the time it got to sort of 70 minutes and the game really opened up, we should have been out of sight. And at that point, it was like, is this a game we're going to lose? And they had some some good opportunities. You know, Ben mentioned Joseph Zoun last week, who had who had a good opportunity. Lasse Viba had a couple of good shots on goal, and so it wasn't entirely as comfortable as I think maybe we would have hoped. But you know, we got the job done at the end of the day. And even if it meant you know we needed a helping hand from our friends over in East Anglia, it was you know what we needed, and we can't complain too much. I don't think it was a very good start for Fulham, Ben. Uh, Tom Kearney smashed Fulham into the lead from Sessegnon's cross. Uh, I looked up how many assists that Ryan Sessegnon had. It's actually only his third assist of the season. Feels like he's he's had a lot more. But with Norwich racing into such a big lead against Leeds at Ellen Road, it was all going so swimmingly after around 10 minutes. It literally couldn't have gone better at the start. Yeah, so it felt like we were in dream, dreamland when we went 1-0 up so early and then we see that Norwich are coasting into a 3-0 lead. But when when they scored the goal and then when we found out that Norwich um, were being pegged back by Leeds, it almost certainly turned into like a nervy afternoon. And we sort of sat very tightly hoping that we didn't we didn't give up those points and, and lose out to Leeds and set ourselves up for a biggest foul on the last day of the season. But 
going back to your original point, like Sessegnon has been amazing for us for the majority of the season. Um, and it feels like he's involved more than he has been with the three assists just because he he offers so many balls before the counter. He offers so many incisive runs and he's, he's really important to our to our our play, but it doesn't necessarily mean that as always he's providing that last outcome. Um, so it's exceptional for a 16-year-old to be playing like that. A nice finish from Tom Kearney as well. I mean, obviously the goalkeeper had been drawn out, but still had to finish it. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant finish from him, and you always expect him to tuck that one home. Shame he can't tuck it away from 12 yards, but we'll come on to that later. Mm. Uh, Farrell, Floyd Ayite had some great chances to double the lead. Very unlike him, because he's been so almost predatory for the whole of the season uh, with his goal scoring, uh, especially that one where he's through on goal. I mean, obviously, he should have done better, but it took an awful bobble, didn't it? Yeah, it was really unlucky, and you quite likely rightly point out that he has been pretty clinical when he has had the chances that have fallen to him. It was it was so unlucky. And I did I did turn around to to my brother and say, Oh, I hope we don't rue that. And we almost did. Ever so slightly almost did, uh, in the end. It was it was so unfortunate. And and I I think after that his his finishing kind of got worse. He 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 did suffer that little bit of confidence that he was going to miss a, miss another chance because when the ball did fall to him for a shot, he did dilly-dally a little bit. I think if he was full, if that first chance goes in where he was through one-on-one, that um, after that confidence would have flowed through him a bit more and he would have been a bit more decisive. There was the one that... Um, the, the ball that fell to him for that ultimately resulted in the penalty that he took an extra two or three touches when in reality he should have just absolutely thrashed at it. Um, but... You know that happened quite a few times, but you can't I, you can't fault his all round play. Um, he was pretty good overall, and just unfortunate not to get a goal. I don't know why he didn't just take it around the keeper like he did at Norwich. You know why mm. not show off ten minutes in? Yeah, you know why not exactly? And, and Brentford they came to Craven Cottage. They were looking to spoil the party. They couldn't set out their cup final, <laughs> as nicely pointed out by uh, Farrell on Twitter. But they looked a lot better side than the one that we met back in Griffith, Griffin Park in November. And interestingly, we look at the league tables for the calendar year. Fulham are top, and, that, and that's amazing. But actually, Brentford are, are fourth in the table, or at least they were in 2017. So it wasn't an easy time to face them. Admittedly, a lot of their points have come at Griffin Park rather than away from home. We said on the pod last week that they would be a totally different outfit from the one that we faced them at Griffin Park, and quite rightly so. And they were a, certainly a, a much better team. We were quite unsure as to which Brentford would actually show up. Would they be right in our faces or would they be more cautious? And they kind of, I think they managed the game quite well. I think they chose when to attack us and they chose when to sort of sit back and absorb some of the pres- the pressure because there were points in the game where they were firmly on top. And we're not talking in small periods. We're talking over 10, 15-minute periods where like Brentford are right on, right, giving it a go here. But there were other times where, obviously, the manager, Dean Smith, decided, look, next five boys, just sit back in, absorb some of that, and let's hit them on the break. I think that especially given that when I looked at the first Brentford team sheet it, and we saw that Woods was out, and I was like, oh, that's a big, big win for Fulham. It's a big kind of gap in the middle of the midfield and I don't know if anyone saw the Get West London teams combined teams over the course of last week but you know especially the Brentford correspondent had Ryan Woods in there ahead of Kevin McDonald and whether that's bias or you know just you know blindness to a team that's a different thing to be to be arguing but Ryan Woods has had a good season and he's also completed a lot of passes and there was a a feature on that in in Squawker and all the different players that have completed a lot of passes this, this season in the championship so as soon as I saw Woods was out I was thinking this could be you know, a really good day for Fulham. We could dominate the midfield, but they managed the game really well. And I thought that they were going to go into it and try and make it a blood and thunder derby in the way that, you know, Holloway might like. Because I think that, you know, I thought that if Fulham played them at their own game, we'd outplay them and we'd, we'd, we'd be able to sort of run rings around them slowly and surely. But they did really well. And they were a good side for the majority of the game. And they looked to hit us on the counter and they looked dangerous on the break for 90 minutes, to be honest. And I think that ultimately... It wouldn't have been unfair for Fulham to come away with all three points, but neither was it unfair for Brentford to to come away with a point on Saturday. They played some really, really expansive and slick football throughout the the whole afternoon, really. And I think one of the focal points of their game was obviously Hotter. 
and him coming in off that left flank and drifting inwards and really conducting the play there. And it gave us a lot of issues because it's, it's, it's just a case of who actually picks him up there. Is it McDonald or is it Malone or... Uh, on the other side, it's going to be Fredericks and again McDonald. You know, like, like that inverted winger, we have quite a lot of um, of issues with that. And then the the diagonal ball, they caught us out with a few times as well. But they play some really nice and expansive stuff, which is stark contrast to what they were playing when we played them the first time round. So their development's been huge. So looking back at some of the individual moments of the game, one of the key ones was just at the end of the first half. Fulham awarded. Uh, another penalty that we failed to uh, capitalise on. Uh, awarded for the foul on Steph Joe by Yuan Barbe. And actually, Farrell and I were discussing just before the game, actually quite good that the referee gave that penalty. Not denying that it wasn't a penalty, but actually I think a lot of referees might have just gone, oh, well, you, uh, the, the, the chances continued and ignored the foul, but it was a clear foul uh, on Steph Joe. But why... Didn't TC listen to our very own Jack Collins last week? Here's the clip of what he said. Good from TC to put it in the same spot. If we get another one, does he have to change that, Dom? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Just put it in the same spot, it'll go in. I mean, I hate to give Jack credit. I really, really do. I really always try and avoid it where I can. But, I mean, you did predict it, Jack. Yeah, I mean, spot on. <laughs> Why? Why did what I... are your lottery numbers this week? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think that... But it wasn't even that. You know, the point that we made at the time was that, you know, that we said you said that Dempsey was the master of putting poor penalties away and it kind of, to a point, we didn't discuss the actual fact that Kenny had put two not brilliant penalties into a place where the keeper hadn't dived and that was it. And... Mm. We, you know, so therefore it was always going to come back to bite him. And actually, weird enough, this penalty was a better one. Yeah, yeah. It was a better penalty into that corner, and it looked like it was going to just sneak inside the corner. And it's a, it's a really good save, and that is to be commended on Daniel Bentley's kind of behalf. But you know, if he's watched anything to do with where Kenny's going to put his penalties, then he knows where that's going to go. Mm. And all it needed to be doing was thump down the middle, mm. and no one ever stays still. It's a it's a classic it's classic commentators one. If it goes in, um, like a poor penalty, they always do that one with, oh, it's a great penalty. Keepers made the keeper dive the wrong way, which I've always thought is absolute bullshit. Like the keeper's just gone before the the penalty taker's even gone. Uh, but in this situation, it was actually the opposite. I actually thought it was a really well struck penalty. It didn't bobble at all. It was seemed to be going in the right area. Uh, but Bentley's made quite a good save from it. Strong words from Farrell there. So how many? This season, I've actually completely lost count of how many we've missed and scored now. Missed nine out of 13, so we've scored four. Have we seen the stats that's been doing the rounds this week, sort of on BBC Sport, also sort of on Opta Joe? I think it's the case that Fulham have... Missed more penalties than... 67 teams in the league have had. I think that just shows how often we get in the box. It's a good thing. To you know, to be making these chances, we just really need someone that's going to put the ball in the back of the net. And I don't know how many more times we can say it, or you know, if we no, want to change this death. record. Like, do you mm. know, what I mean, it's we're all talking the same kind of nonsense on a regular basis. But eventually, someone's going to have to listen. And yeah, it looked like it was going to be TC to step up, but he's actually when it's come to it, and you know, surely when he was putting the ball on the spot there, he's going. Has Bentley done his homework on me? Mm. Because if he has, he knows exactly where I'm putting this ball. Well, of course the keeper's done the homework on him. He's done the same penalty three times in four matches. Like, the keeper is, doesn't deserve a wage if he hasn't understood where Kearney's going to put his penalty if yeah, he gets but, one. Yeah, but then Kearney, are we, are we going to argue that Kearney doesn't deserve a wage for not thinking about it the other way? Yeah, I, I'm completely on board with that. Like, Kearney should, should be smart enough to think that I've put my two penalties in the previous two games in the same place. Now I should probably switch it up. Or maybe chuck the ball thought, to someone else. Maybe yeah, he thought like, Bentley was going to go that way anyway and he's going to double bluff him. No, but you'd be an idiot to think that he, Bentley isn't going to understand where you're going to put a penalty. Like, surely you must be so ignorant not to understand that. I think there's two types of good penalty taker. There's the one, there's the Alan Shearers who are so good at hitting penalties, they hit it so clean. They hit, and hit it in the same place every time. They don't need to think about the keeper. I'm so good at hitting penalties that doesn't really matter where they dive I'm just gonna hit the same spot every time and they can't get near or they might get one in 20 they might just 
have such a good dive or I might just not quite hit it right. Or you have to be slightly clever. Okay, I'm not the greatest penalty taker in the world. I can't hit the side netting every single time. But actually, I'm going to vary my penalties so much. I've got so much variety in my taking that I'm going to outsmart the goalkeeper. Unfortunately, Tom Kenny's not fallen into either bracket. He can't hit a penalty so well that a keeper can't save it. And he's also not been seemingly smart enough to go, well, I'm going to vary my penalties and outfox the goalkeeper. Mm. We haven't discussed that Floyd Aite is actually quite a good penalty taker and has quite I mean, a we've decent... gone through the whole team. No, but he has quite a decent record. <laughs> and he, is, he remains Sean the Cameron, only one your that... time is up. Yeah, but he remains <laughs> the only one that hasn't really had a crack at it for, because when we had the penalty sort of blip, he was actually out. Yeah. And we talked about it at the time that we'd be looking to have Aite back and then, you know, you brought up the start in the first place. Yeah. But no one's still giving him the ball. No, he hasn't even tried one this year. And last year when he played for Bastia, he scored two or three. Um, he was like their key penalty taker, albeit Bastia aren't a very expansive side and they don't often get in the box. But um, Aite can definitely put them away from from my experience of, of, of watching him in the past. Slavisa, have a word. Yeah, come. We're all waiting for those penalty shootouts anyway in either the playoff semi or maybe even the final. <laughs> could, you imagine if, could you imagine if we bang five in five in a penalty shootout? I think it's, I think it's nailed on. That's yeah. Fulhamish. I think it's absolutely. I'm putting a bet on right now for it. I don't know if I'd even be that happy. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why? Yeah. Just we could have had automatic promotion if you just. Yeah. So second half, uh, it was quite even really. Both teams matching each other. Fulham really seemed to be lacking in the last 20, 25 minutes, running a bit out of steam, and it led to to, led to Brentford having some quite good chances. I think Lasse Viber. Uh, had the best of them uh, and Betts had to make some pretty good saves to keep the score at one all. I don't know if the uh, message got to the players at all about the result uh, that was going on at Leeds but it certainly got nervy and I don't know it might have come from the crowd because the crowd all round got really you can actually the, the tension was was uh, visible even and um, I think that there was a lot of nervy play going on there was a lot of misplaced passes a lot of like poor decision making going on um, not for the want of trying, but I don't know if players were hanging on to the ball a bit more than they should do or not making the right decision, but it kind of got, it did get nervy and I, that let Brentford right back into the game. They got their tails up, the crowd started getting behind them for the first time in the game. And, um, it, you know, I, I was sitting there just like biting my fingernails to death and yeah, everyone was trying to check the score at the same time. And there was that weird point where the board went up and, like we started passing it around really like nonchalantly just outside our own box and we were like no we need we need a winner because just in case Leeds score I don't know if the Slavica had told them that no, just hold on to it don't worry about it I think there was something that Ryan Frederick said where he said we realised what the Leeds score was when we went in at half time because someone said it to us but he said I was taking a throw on and someone in the crowd shouted, Oi, it's three all, get a move on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was like, Oh god, it was a real like wake up call. He was like, and we said it at the end. He said we didn't really discuss it during the game, but at the end, obviously, Kearney realised, obviously you saw his Instagram post about, you know, the moment where you realise is when they when the Hammersmith end roars. And yeah, it's interesting to think that just a bloke on the side has just informed Ryan Fredericks <laughs> that he needs to get on with it. Like, there was that famous not moment. Not Slavisa, not maybe like Marcus Azaria or something like that, just Dave in Block J. <laughs> <laughs> there was that famous moment about 40 years ago where Coventry got relegated thinking that they only needed a draw and they took it into the corner and they actually needed to win. In terms, in terms of Beth Nelly, which we haven't really discussed... There's more to be said for his introduction to the team than maybe we've we've gone into. And it's not necessarily that he's a better keeper. And a lot of people have pointed this out recently. It's not necessarily anything to do with his shot stopping, but his actual sort of passion and, and, and drive behind the team and the way that he's sort of so involved in it and is, is sort of a natural leader somewhat at the back because he obviously responds to people and, and the fans respond to him. And it feels like there's sort of that more confident era well we've got 13 points out of 15 since he's come back into the side and that's a nuts statistic that's a really really impressive return and not something that can be discounted quite as easily as I think we have for for the wider team it's an incredibly timely boost to what was looking like a campaign that may potentially slip away out of our hands after Derby and I mean I think Betts is very very aware of what he can and what he can't do on a football pitch whereas David Button is um 
consistently trying to do things uh, above his station or sort of like out of his remit where he t- tries to bring the ball out the back and tries to distribute out to the wings uh, in, a, in a very fancy manner, whereas Betts sort of does the, the bread and butter goalkeeping very, very well and that gives confidence to the rest of the team. And there's no coincidence that since his inclusion in the team that Tim Ream's got better and better, um, the command of the box has got better and better and we've looked um, much more able at set pieces to defend our own box. Um, whereas before we looked very shaky and there was uh, n- not enough communication, uh, at least in my opinion. Interesting you mentioned his character, actually, rather than necessarily his play. Because you think back to all the great goalkeepers over the years, and a lot of them have got one thing in common, and they've all got not necessarily a great personality, but they've all got a wacky personality. or yeah. And actually, you never seem to get that impression from Button that he was really making a mark on the team. He seemed like quite a quiet figure mm. in the dressing room. And this hard, um, it's hard for me to say. I don't know David Button personally. I don't know what the real atmosphere is in that dressing room. But maybe, as you say, Marcus has brought in more than just some extra technical ability in the goalkeeping room. It's just the fact that his personality has lifted the team somehow. Well, if you think about, you know, Schmeichel, Grobelar and Oliver Kahn, they all had huge personalities. And I think we've sort of, over the years, got to know Betts a bit a bit personally off the pitch and we know what kind of personality he has. But we don't really know that about Button. And coincidentally, before the match on Saturday, there was a really nice piece um, by Henry Winter on, yeah. on Fulham and on Betts, well worth a read if you can get your hands on it, where he just says that he loves being part of the club and um, he receives chocolates on Valentine's Day and... And 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 uh, Easter. That's just because he's a good-looking fellow. Nothing serious. He's a great-looking guy. Bloke. He's a great-looking guy and a handsome <laughs> bloke. But like, he's a great keeper to have around. And Jack, I think nailed it. I hadn't even thought about the, the sort of character element to 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 a keeper. But you know, like I said, Khan had it. Schmeichel had it. And and a lot of great keepers do have a very unique personality. That's why they're a strange breed, I guess. All goalkeepers are crazy, as Rob Child once said. Absolutely. But thinking about it, um, our favourite ever, well, best ever goalkeeper was Van der Sar, and you wouldn't say that he was a particularly big character apart from physically. Um, <laughs> although my ever my favourite ever moment of his probably outside of the pitch was listening to a, a BBC radio interview with him and he sounded just like Kermit the Frog. He was actually really weird. Like there's loads of really weird videos of him stuff to, him doing weird stuff on the internet. And he like his radio Hello. interviews... Not that weird, Sammy. <laughs> not your kind of weird. Oh, <laughs> yeah, your kind of weird. Yeah. But no, he definitely was a bit of like an odd character. And yeah. not necessarily... I, I think I agree with you in the point that he's not necessarily like a big shouting at people character. I think he was just a bit of an oddball. And, <laughs> but, you know, you know, we've had loads of weird goalkeepers, yeah. surely. They live a, such a lonely life, it's really difficult for them not to be normal. I mean, we do you remember, uh, did you ever watch Dream Team? And the goalkeeper, Jaws, was the uh, the most erratic character. My friend Jamie's brother was in Dream Team. Was he? There you are. Harchester United. You ever come out of Ben Jarman, you know people. Yeah, I know people. Did you go down, did you go <laughs> down the so. dragon's lair? Oh, no, I mean, this was, I've, I've met him far after Dream Team had oh, right. come out. But, you know, it's a, it's a nice, nice little moment. For anyone that doesn't live in the UK, uh, this was a weird TV sitcom maybe about 10 years ago. Uh, sitcom? Yeah, it was, it was like a soap, wasn't it, really? Yeah, it was so good. Uh, about a fictional football team called Harchester United. And my favourite thing about it is they played in purple. So what, whenever they used to pl- show real footage of Harchester United playing, they would doctor the colour of any team that played in blue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I used to... Chelsea, Millwall, anything, anyone that was... Uh, Everton... Anyone yeah. that played in blue and they were Dr. Harchester United into Of it. all the wonderful things you could have liked about Dream Team, you liked about the fact that they doctored colours on the computer. <laughs> that, <laughs> was your, that was your go-to standout I, point. It was, I didn't like it. It was a weird TV a show. Well I, I remember TV when they, they played in the playoff final and they tried to use footage from a playoff final that uh, Sky Sports had had and they realised that no team had played in blue for like such a long time. So they made up this storyline beforehand that, oh, we can't, we don't have our... Home kit. Our kit man forgot the home kit, so they turned up with like an orange kit, which they then doctored uh, Crystal Palace's kit to to use that footage instead. That's a great point. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> anyway, away from Dream Team and Harchester United, in the end, uh, Fulham secured uh, a one-all draw, and that point uh, was enough 
to secure effectively. We keep having to kind of put these asterisks in uh, after every time we say it. Uh, we've effectively secured our playoff position, barring an almighty 14-goal swing. Uh, Jack pointed out to me earlier that no team uh, in the Football League has ever recorded a 10-0 win. Is that no. is that correct? Not since the Premier League has been put in, I believe. Still time. Still we're, time. We're not as confident as Pontus Janssen of qualifying for the play Leeds qualifying for the playoffs before Saturday because he was going on about how we are 200% going to qualify for the playoffs. It was really weird. He was like, it's all definitely in our hands. And people were like, well, it's, just, it's just not. Like, <laughs> that is, and that's, that's incorrect, Pontus. <laughs> Stick to defending, not mathematics. But how big an achievement is reaching the playoffs in itself? It feels like we've been talking about the playoffs all season, really. And actually, ever since this podcast started really back early September I can't remember really an episode where we didn't mention the top six at some point and for so long we've been outside the playoffs and then to time the run and I know a lot of it is Leeds's demise as much as our brilliant run but at the end of the day we're in sixth they're in seventh how it was done over the season is irrelevant it's an amazing achievement to go from where we were last year, scrabbling around in the bottom half of the division, basically being capped up by a, a 19-year-old and, a, and, and Ross McCormack. A journeyman. A, a journeyman, maybe. Um, <laughs> Talk about Ryan Tunnicliffe. Just about being kept up by them, having a, a goal difference of like minus 21 to now being the top scorers in the league, one of the most potent forces going forward, albeit on one of the smallest squads in the league has been an absolutely remarkable transition. And uh, we're forgetting that a lot of the defenders we have this time around were, were people that we were actually using last year as well. You know, the likes of Reem, Mardel, um, Fredericks were all being used last year. Button was, uh, Bettinelli was as well, sorry. Um, and our football identity, the way that that's just changed completely over from one season to another, from being... Um, horribly unorganised, um, very long ball, trying to be as direct as possible, missing out the midfield to to working through transitions, to working through thirds and creating lovely passing sequences and, and some truly fantastic goals. The way we've sort of morphed over this season has been nothing short of remarkable and it all should all go down to one man and we all know who that guy is. And Kevin McDonald. He's from fucking Ryan Ser Tunnicliffe. He's from Serbia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was well opened up for a joke there. <laughs> he's from Serbia and he will fucking murder you. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about it before the podcast about how confident we have been this season in the sense that last season we were thinking, you know, there were times where things were pretty good, but we weren't thinking about going into games, right, we could definitely win this game, we can definitely win this game. That really didn't happen. We weren't entirely sure which Fulham are going to turn up. Whereas this season, since late September, we'd be like, we know we're going to play well today. You know, we're confident. We're, there's no matter which team we're going we're to face. Apart from the odd, the odd blip here and there where we haven't really been up to scratch. But it's weird to think that every game this season, I thought to myself, we can win today. That hasn't happened since we're probably... <laughs> promoted well, we the last from, time exactly I think the actual way we're playing is arguably more and, and that kind of attitude is more of an achievement in itself than, than reaching the playoffs but you know now we're here we have to kick on almost as in we have over the course of the season minus you know the blip of September we put that aside we have been the third best team in this division at least and I think that there are very few people that will disagree with that point and even the games we've lost I was saying to Farrell earlier I can't remember, aside from Bristol City at home, being the inferior side in a home game this season. And that is a nuts statistic, mm. especially if we've considered, you know, the two teams that are promoted. We, you know, we were both, we were better than both those, you know, home and away, arguably. Yep. And we've outplayed, you know, pretty much everyone and anyone that's come and, come and given us a straight fight. Yeah, we've had, we've had blips, we've had slip ups and, you know, we weren't. Wolves is maybe the only other... That's one. the one I was saying. The, the one I was thinking of, which we'll probably touch on to later, is Sheffield Wednesday. We were only good 
when it got to about 80 minutes in. See, I disagree with that. I don't think, but I don't think we were the worst side in that game. I just don't think they were, we were necessarily as much better than them as we normally are. Mm. I think it was just a pretty even game. And for us to then be discussing an even game yeah. as a game <laughs> that we're now being like, oh, were we maybe not the better side? <laughs> Whereas is, last is year it was mad. like, we might be the inferior team, but we lost 6-0. Yeah, as, it's mad that we have got into this kind of position where we're playing these teams and we're, you know, anyone that comes to town, you're like, come on then. You wouldn't think it. that we played, we were 20th last year. We were, you know, going back to when we were talking about the season we got promoted from Division 1, the year before we finished 8th or 9th, and then we, you know, won the league at a canter. But last season, we almost got relegated. It wasn't beyond the realms of impossibility that we were going to get relegated. Whereas, you know, this time we're a totally different team. Well, if you told me that, let's say, Birmingham City this time next year are going to be top scorers in the league in, and favourites to get promoted from the playoffs, I would I would think you're... I would think you're nuts. I'd say Twiffick, we've got the old team back together. Yeah. We've got Crouchy, <laughs> Crankyard, <laughs> Defoe, Odd and Wingy. Yeah, all, the all the lads, we're putting a band back together and we're going to get Birmingham promoted. Yeah. <laughs> right, so, then we're all called that one. <laughs> So it's all been confirmed then that we're going to finish in sixth place. Sheffield Wednesday, Huddersfield and Reading have all 100% secured their places in the playoffs too. So the playoff dates were announced today. So Fulham will play on Saturday the 13th of May at 5.30 in the evening. That game will be at Craven Cottage against the side that finishes third. And then our away leg will be on the 16th of May, uh, the Tuesday evening at 7.45, away at one of those grounds. So we'll either, most likely, will be at the Medeski because Reading are, Reading are in third place now. And if Yay. they beat if they beat Burton, uh, I think it's away from home, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. Then we'll face Reading. Could be Sheffield Wednesday, though. Could be Huddersfield. So it could be trips to Yorkshire uh, as well. It's going to be, obviously, it's a straight shootout in the playoffs. There's no away goals, which I always think is quite... There's not many two-legged competitions like that that don't have away goals. That That won't suit us. No, wouldn't it? Actually, would be quite good for us, wouldn't it, if uh, if there was away goals? Missed penalties count double. Yeah, exactly. Aside from who is the better away day, which I know we've touched upon well, lots of this podcast. Reading, no, I know. Which, exactly, which is <laughs> Best away day in the league. I don't want to get dragged down by us <laughs> slagging off the Medeski, as awful as it is. What side would Fulham match up against out of those three? What side would we most probably like and what side would we least like? I feel like... I, I would say that we would least like Sheffield. Yeah. Um, that's my personal opinion. I would say, considering we played Huddersfield so recently, even though we absolutely walked over them, they're not a bad side from what I've seen this season. Whereas Reading, I think, are complete frauds. I don't think they deserve to be up there. And I'm going to completely counter that. <laughs> like, Reading are in third position with a goal difference of, like, plus one or two. They've got there by ground, grinding out results and being really organised and getting those scrappy wins that, you know, get you places. All right, but you're a statistical man. And statistically, Reading should be, like, 12th. Yeah, they should be, but they're not, are they? They're yeah, third, I know, but that's so... not... As in, as in they've... Is, you can't get to that kind of position with a goal difference of that low and that inferior figure if you haven't got lucky. I, you I can't would... say that to me when they're sitting there in third. I can. Well, th- well, that... <laughs> well I'm going to counter all of it and say, like, well, the statistics say that they've got 82 points and they are third. So. Exactly. Like they're, they're getting those 1-0 wins that get you places. You know, they're like the, the Chelsea that won the league when they were just winning 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0 constantly from Christmas onwards. Do you know how many penalties like, Reading have missed this season? I don't care. Like, how many, re- how many, and how many rebounds? rebounds they've scored. Reading are lucky and they are but riding all, the crest of a wave. And I'm, I'm not saying is, I want to play them. I'm just saying that that, that wave could continue. But yeah. if Reading get into the Premier League next year, they will beat Derby's record of being the worst side ever in the Premier League. All I'm saying is that they've got to this position because they're, they're clearly, you know, adept, like clearly good enough at keeping the ball out of the back of the net when they need to. And like they can get scrappy wins. And but going that's back why to I'm the so question. scared about it. But if it's an open game against like a side like Huddersfield, we can win it. Like, yeah. I don't want Reading, but I'd quite enjoy Huddersfield. Um, I'd, I'd, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday still scare me. I don't want Sheffield Wednesday. They're no. the side I don't want. Um, and I, I, I'd, I'd agree with you to a point. I'd rather have Huddersfield than Reading because I think that Huddersfield's style of play suits the way that we play. 
Whereas I think the Reading style of play will stifle us, especially at home. And I, I know what will happen. We'll miss a 90th minute penalty. We'll, we'll get knocked out and Reading will go through with like 12% possession, one shot on target. Paul McShane getting and, the winner. And we'll have had like two disallowed goals from like, the ball's gone over the line because Reading are jammy this year and they will do it. The and thing, I, I, that's why I wouldn't want to play them because I don't fancy playing against a team whose luck is that far on their side. Yeah, and I'm agreeing with you on that part, but I also feel like the other part of the game, which is obviously like the fundamentals, they're good at keeping the ball out of the net, mm. whereas Huddersfield... The wheels just fall off occasionally, like they just let in. But then the wheels off. really fall off Reading occasionally, yeah. which is actually yeah, more they, the reason why their goal difference is so low. They, is they have conceded. They have conceded like sixty-two goals, which is more than Huddersfield. Yeah, well, more than so anyone in the top, the top seven. The the <laughs> just stop exposing me, Farrell. Just... <laughs> but the thing, I mean, the one thing I will go by is that. Um, the game, the the repeated away game at the Medeski was, you know, I didn't think that Fulham played particularly well, but I don't think they played particularly like terribly. But I thought Reading were good value for the win. I did think that they did keep the ball well, much better than any other team had done so in the five, six games previously against us. I think that was one of our most lacklustre performances of the season, if I'm, if I'm honest. I'll counter that because... I just think that we never looked in that game. The only game where I thought we were as, as lacklustre as that Reading away game was Villa away, where we didn't look like oh, yeah. we were ever going to create a yeah. chance. We were terrible that day, and we were terrible at Reading as well. We just looked. It was the first time, we, it was the second time we played that three at the back with the five with, in across the middle, and it just didn't work at all. We looked exposed down both flanks. We our, our fullbacks didn't push on enough. We didn't have enough in the midfield to counter the fact that they were coming through and and to block John Swift, who basically ran the game, and and it it, it all sort of fell apart. And I'd argue that that was our one of our poorest performances. Talk about the, the, the away game. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was it was a weird time for us. It kind of that was like the low point where I mean it was it was the the baby stages of the Fulhamish podcast, and I was completely ranting about Slavica's um, emerging identity. And it, how it wasn't really functioning, and I, I love the fact I've I've ate, eaten my words whole someone, since then. Someone tried to mug me on the way home as well, so that was, <laughs> that, was that was about as poor as it got, if I'm honest. Um, and since then, it's kind of been that point where it we really picked up from then, and it showed that the identity and the tactical system of this Fulham team has worked, and we don't play three five two anymore. Thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, we'll find out uh, who Fulham do face on Sunday. And for me, I think it's quite a big motivation for Fulham uh, to beat Sheffield Wednesday. We'll look at what we do in Sunday's game. Looked to be such a huge one uh, only a few weeks ago. It's turned out to be a bit of a dead rubber. It might just be a bit of a party. But first of all, just a little bit of admin. Uh, would really appreciate uh, if you could... Get on iTunes today and maybe just give Fulhamish uh, a rating on there if you haven't already. Uh, we can always just do with some, only if you want to give us a good rating, obviously. But um, if you log on to iTunes uh, and give us a rating and a little review of what you think of the podcast, always helps us uh, to spread the word as iTunes loves loves a good old rating. So uh, please do that for us. Uh, and now that we are definitely in the playoffs, apart from a 14-goal swing... <laughs> gotta say it, gotta say it for the disclaimer. Uh, we're going to be doing lots of extra podcasts. Uh, I'm sure you'll be glad to hear. So we will be doing a podcast after the Sheffield Wednesday game. Then there will be a special Thursday podcast with a first leg preview. Uh, the Monday after that, we'll be doing a first leg review and then a second leg preview. Then either the Wednesday or Thursday after that, we'll be doing a second leg review. If we reach the final, we'll do a preview the week after or it will just be an entire season review uh, if we do get knocked out in the semi-finals and then I'm sure uh, if we do get to the final there will be lots of podcasts after that so don't worry we will have you covered with loads of coverage of the playoff chase we've got your back we have indeed so what to do about Sheffield Wednesday bit of a dead rubber as I, as I just said but it could dictate who Fulham face in the playoffs. And for me, I think that makes it quite an important game for Fulham because I think Sheffield Wednesday are the side we want to avoid in the playoffs. And I think most Fulham fans would agree with me there. So paradoxically, it would mean beating Sheffield Wednesday to avoid Sheffield Wednesday in the playoffs is the best outcome. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a funny one, if I'm honest. But, you know, I think we've just got to go out there and, and I think you have to rotate. There's a lot of players who look knackered last 20 minutes on, on Saturday and we really can't afford that over two legs in the playoffs, especially with the two games so close together. So I think you've got to look at resting players like Johansson, who looks like he could do with, you know, maybe 20 out. And you could just, you know, rest these players. And it also gives us a chance to slightly experiment with this middle three because we have because they've been so solid for the majority of the season there hasn't really been any need to rotate or change them but if something now went wrong and we were discussing this earlier we were saying who could replace Johansson we haven't got a player that will sit in and replace Johansson if if something desperately went wrong in say even the first or second leg if you know we got through and then we were in a final without our key link in our midfield and that makes it quite a worrying prospect as such so i suppose it's a chance to kind of give some players have run, maybe Dennis Adiranan, good player, like him in that kind of role where he, he did well again earlier in the season. He's done quite well there for, for the PL2 side. So it might be a chance to to see him in action, to rotate the fullbacks. I think keep the middle three at the back pretty solid. Benelli, Reem Kalas seem to have quite a good understanding at the moment. I think it's a chance for them to to carry on, build that, rotate the fullbacks, see how we get on there. Uh, and maybe give big Chris Martin another chance up front and see how he gets on and see how much he wants it. And if he proves himself to, you know, bangs in a hat-trick, then we've got another option. So I think that there's there's options to be had. Not adverse to that in any way. Um, in, in my personal opinion, the only thing I'd be concerned about is keeping the, the likes of Kenny and, and Johansson, you know, in that groove. Um, perhaps for want of a better term. But then on the flip side, on the other side of that coin, it's a case of, we need to get someone like Adoy, who's obviously um, a huge competition for Fredericks. We need to get him going in case anything does happen to Fredericks, who can be prone to losing his head. Um, obviously, we don't want to pick up any injuries to any key players as well, which is why I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be like adverse to, to dropping Kearney um, just for this. And maybe it's given the likes of like Cabana, who's sort of fallen out of um, selection over these past few weeks, like giving him a full uh, ninety or even a, a decent eighty, eighty-five minutes, and then. And looking at those wide areas to get those players back going again and Chris Martin, it'd be really nice to give him a run out before we enter the two biggest games of our season. You'd say the full backs, especially like Fredericks, is almost a definite to not play on Sunday because the amount of miles he puts into every game, hit someone like him having two weeks, and we saw it actually after the international break, how much of a difference that made when he had a full rest. Yeah, we, we certainly picked him out uh, even the weeks prior to that that Fredericks is the kind of guy that we really need to rest even before that international break and it, it absolutely showed in those games prior to that with uh, Blackburn and Wolves uh, where the wheels started to fall off a little bit. But I think that Slavica will probably have to make that decision about players who are definitely in his plans and he, he would like to keep match fit and keep in the group as Ben right uh, quite rightly says um so players like Adoy and martin and cabano are definitely uh, you know i would say are shoo-ins to actually start on sunday um because they you know match fitness to them they need to be they need to be fit and ready if say if there's an injury leading up to the game or there's a knock early on in one of the playoffs games um whereas someone like Parker or Andrin and might not probably get a run out, I do think. And he, I, I would say that absolutely, definitely the the two centre-backs, you always want to keep your defence stable. I've always been an advocate of keeping consistency in the back four or five. Um, and But I would say like Kenny and Johansson and McDonald, they've been playing so well that you, you it'd be a big risk to kind of rest them however they are professionals so you would expect them if they're going to come out of the game and rest that they won't come back firing on all cylinders I think the long and short of it is like we're getting to this point in the season and we're getting to this this point again where the real lack of depth in the squad is is starting to show again and, and we are looking leggy in the last 20 uh, 25 minutes of games and that was the case against Brentford it's been the case against Blackburn Rovers and it's just a case of like everyone needs to regroup we have a week off between the games so it could lead to us playing a full 11, but we need to regroup and just refresh and then hit those two games with as much as we've got to try and secure that that one-off to get in the Prem. Um, that's my view. Notwithstanding that, actually, because we now play on the Tuesday in the midweek, that should we get to the final, 
after the semi-finals. Uh, it's a 13-day gap mm. between the second semi-final and the playoff final, so there is a big gap there as well for players to get fit again. So it is, we're just looking at two games, really, in a very short space of time that the players have to be 100% ready for. I would say that um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good point to make that that but also it following on from that that kind of um when those the players are starting to tire out a little bit when we did pick up on that it was a real point of fixture congestion we were playing that replayed game against reading we were playing in the fa cup at the same time so we had fixtures moved for that as well and it was a case of we were playing saturday tuesday wednesday saturday again and for a good two or three weeks prior to I think with a whole week before Sheffield and then um, when we'll be playing on the Saturday in the in the playoffs, that's a decent enough rest for any sort of uh, championship player. And, that, and there'll be nearly 4,000 Fulham fans in attendance on Sunday. Slavisa in his press conference after the Brentford game said, uh, we're not going up there for a joke. <laughs> in Slavisa's uh, amazing way that he uh, says things. Uh, and Farrell, you're up for a party, aren't you? you? You're planning on going as a train guard, well, so, yeah. so I heard. <laughs> it was it was an idea touted. I think it's going to be one of those ones where if either 4,000 people turn up or one person turns up, it shows whether it's going to be funny or just like there's a guy dressed as a train guard over there. How lame. You need to explain why you're going as a train guard. No, that is that is, that is the <laughs> Well, it was that stems from the we are not a train station thing. Right, there we go. <laughs> Well, I'm certainly going to have my sombrero out. Jack, are you um, going to blink, bring the flag? Obviously, the flag made his first appearance at, at Brentford at the weekend. Uh, went down a storm. Unfortunately, wasn't taken by the stewards. No, Sean Cavanagh came and kissed it. That was nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Is no, it an Ivory Coast flag? Yeah, it's for Syriac as well when I turn it upside down. And so that's, uh, that's a nice <laughs> one. But yeah, it made an appearance. People seemed to like it. You know, we had a good old time, and hopefully, it'll have a a secondary good old time at Sheffield. Well, it's going to be it's going to be a, a fun day out, I think, for the Fulham faithful. I know that some Fulham fans will probably be trying to sell their tickets now that there's nothing really riding on the game. But quite nice, actually, to be going to a game at this stage of the season, knowing that we've still got big games to come. But actually, this is one that we can be quite relaxed for. The result doesn't really matter as much as you just don't want a hammering to lose momentum. And we can just have a bit of a party. Yeah, Sammy told me earlier that he was looking forward to his nine o'clock Strongbow Dark Fruits on the train to, to Doncaster. <laughs> I, can't so, wait. Um, I cannot wait. Please so drink, we're all very excited. Please drink responsibly. And if there you're, are other drinks available. If you're on our Doncaster train... <laughs> come on, and say hello. Yeah, do come say hello, because Jack and I are leading the Doncaster charge. Look for the flag. It'll <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> be up in the window. Have you, have you sent it off to it? Has, uh, was it Collins, someone else, and then we're going to have Sammy James on the... Well, actually, on... the Gallagher isn't actually coming with us today. Oh. He's, um, he, he, was, he has a ticket and all sorts, but oh. he... Um, he then has been he's been summoned for his brother-in-law's stag do so, on on a week's notice. Um, oh no! So he's um, he's actually not able to come. But it's a shotgun uh, wedding. I'm, well, there are questions, um, but yeah, we have <laughs> yes. a we have a replacement in in Liu. But um, yeah, we might have to. Put, he's also called James, so we might have to put Collins James on the flag for for a, for a day. All right. Well, nearly time for the end of this week's podcast. Uh, just a quick opportunity to check the old post bag. Jack, what's coming in this week? Is it bulging? It's actually, it is quite busy, but most of the questions appear to be exactly the same and questions that we've already kind of covered. So James Lisi and Spencer Bounds both asked about who we'd like to get in the playoff final. Should we um, conclusively answer this? We didn't quite cover it. So, Farrell, who do you want right now? Go. Leeds. Right. <laughs> ben? In the final. Semi-final. And final. Uh, mm, I don't know. Huddersfield, Huddersfield. <laughs> 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 my, my dream. And Jack? I'm going to go Reading, Huddersfield. I want someone else to yeah, knock Re- out Sheffield Reading, Huddersfield yeah. would be great. Yeah, I do that, agree with that's that. That's my exact yeah. formula. I want Reading and then I want Huddersfield and I just want nothing to do with Sheffield Wednesday and it will be my main motivation for Fulham winning. We had a great question Sunday. from Alex at Pure Power who said... Is promotion really worth it if Ryan Tunnicliffe never plays for us again? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I said absolutely not. Um, but of course, that is a personal opinion and no, no disrespect to all of you. If, uh, if, Tunnicliffe, if we get promoted and Tunnicliffe, 
Tunnycliffe plays, uh, makes one appearance, I will bring take your flag to an away game next year. And get a Tunnicliffe shirt. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't push don't your chance. Yeah. <laughs> However, one question that I asked yesterday on the Twitter, and loads of you uh, got involved, I did a little bit of a poll. I said, what is the main motivation for you personally for Fulham winning the playoffs? And the two options I gave were this. I said, is it winning at Wembley or is it playing in the Premier League? And before I give you the results of the poll, be interesting to see what you think. So is it just purely you'd like to be back in the Premier League or is it going to Wembley and winning something there and the day out that comes with it and just the glory? It's a tough winning, question. Yeah. Winning at Wembley, 3 0, and seeing Sonny Aluko's shirt off running towards us going mental is just what I've got in my head right now. That's going to happen. <laughs> Mind. I don't think the poll has a character limit that long for that answer. <laughs> Mine's being invited on the Fulham bus as Steph Joe's personal correspondent. <laughs> what is that answer? Yeah, as in, you know, the tour bus, when you get promoted, you get, like, the, the Fulham go, like, a street parade and stuff. You're yeah, going to be that. nowhere near that bus. Yeah, yeah. I am. I'm going to be what on the bus. do you think Fulham are going to email you afterwards? Oh, going... Steph Joe's mum liked my tweet the other day. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote an article Oh, you're pretty much Steph. married to him now, yeah, though, yeah, are you? exactly. I asked his mum for his hand in marriage, and she said yes. <laughs> Farrell, give us a sensible answer, please. Oh, I'm not entirely sure I can after hearing that. Um... <laughs> Jack, what do you expect? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure. I was trying to think about what I would prefer because I never of course thought you'd want to see us win at Wembley. Yeah, right? I know, I know. But what's the bigger motivation? I know it's it is true because I want to see Fulham in the Premier League, and I never thought in in my life that I would see Fulham even at Wembley, let alone winning. Um, I I don't know. I would let's just go winning at Wembley. Okay, because for me. I didn't even think about it. I saw someone else ask this question online and it's all about winning at Wembley for me. I think mm. uh, Jack threw up the stats on Twitter earlier last week about that it's just us, Hud, no, not Huddersfield, Accrington Stanley, I think, Barnett. and Hartlepool and Barnet, yeah. That haven't played a competitive game at Wembley, at New Wembley. since... New Wembley. No, since 1975 it was. None of us have played a competitive game at Wembley. Well, we have. Full of we were in the cup final. No, but then since then, I think that's when the stat came about. Oh. There's only five sides in the English Football League that haven't played a competitive game at Wembley. And we are by far and away the highest side in the pyramid out of all those teams. But have they won the Intertoto Cup? No, they haven't, obviously. And that is a great That is the bigger one. That exactly. wasn't a third option. And it makes up for everything. Yeah, absolutely. Look, European I'm... glory is one thing. <laughs> This went weird. <laughs> I think it's time to end the podcast. Uh, Secretary Jack, back to your secretarial duties, please. What is the title of today's podcast, please? That should be enough. Hey. Hey. Very nice. B spelt B double E, presumably. Obviously. Obviously. Well, it's been a bit of a triumphant feeling podcast this week. Uh, sorry if you can tell that we maybe went for two pints down the spoons beforehand. I hope it didn't come across too evidently. Uh, we will be back then um, on Monday next week, giving the reaction to the Sheffield Wednesday game. We'll have a special extra podcast next week. Uh, with the preview to our playoff first leg, presuming that Leeds uh, don't somehow do that 14-goal swing on Fulham. Thank you for downloading this week's episode. Uh, thank you to Farrell Monk. Thank you very much, Sammy. Thank you to Ben Jarman. Thanks for having me on, Sammy. And Jack Collins, as always. Always a pleasure, Sammy. Don't Broad. forget to give us some ratings on iTunes, and we hope to see you this time next week. So cheerio. Toodles. Later. See ya.